Now, Greg, I haven't used my movie pass in a month. Have you had you experienced any delays with yours? <laughs> well, no, John, because um, I've got a problem. Oh, people may not believe this just with the way you and I talk. Um, if they do <laughs> listen to this, um, you, you and I actually have friends, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'd and, like to think so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they might Facebook. have different opinions, but I'd like to think I have yeah. friends. <laughs> well, according to our Facebook profiles, we have at least uh, fifty each. Um, so. <laughs> I think we're I think we're good in that department. However, John, you you have a you I'm sure you have a friend like I do, who says like, "Hey, I need some money, <laughs> and I'll pay you back like real quick, real it'll it'll be it'll work out just fine." Mm-hmm. And then they do come up with the money about 24 hours later. Now, is this is this a good friend? Is this a reliable friend that you really like? <sighs> well, I mean, but isn't that because that's where I'm at with MoviePass right now? <laughs> I mean, but think about it this way: you yeah. either have when a friend is asking you for money, it's either like for a big extravagant cause, like, hey, I'm you know, I'm I'm going on this missions trip, or hey, I have a <laughs> business proposal for you. And you know, you that you're a little hesitant at because that's a big investment. But then you have your friend who's let's say feeding a habit, like Coke or heroin or whatever, you know, he just yeah. needs a dime bag or something, or an eight ball, you know, and he's only asking you for like twenty bucks and it's like it's less of an investment, but obviously you're feeding something that's clearly not working out. So it's it's a tough call. I feel like MoviePass definitely falls into the latter category. Uh, MoviePass is definitely a cocaine addict. But but in this instance, in your analogy, like your friend would be way more fun to hang out with if he was on cocaine. Like yeah, I guess getting, that's true. You're obviously getting something great out of MoviePass. So that is true. Obviously, obviously, it's as the last um, last two weeks have shown, it's way too good to be true when they can't pay their bills. Well, I mean, everyone knew as soon as they announced it for only $10 a month, everyone knew it was too good to be true, and it wasn't going to last. It's actually kind of yeah. a miracle it's lasted this long. Yeah, especially this month, which is uh, looking a little thin movie-wise. Um, mm. Sorry, I haven't seen Mission Impossible Fallout yet. It could be the best How movie, dare of, you? Movie, movie of the year. Or, and you tweet. consider yourself a true American, and you <laughs> haven't true. seen Mission Impossible 6 colon Fallout yet? How dare no. you? No. Well, John, come on, there's no number. Tom Cruise and weeps, then... weeps currently, okay? <laughs> Because he knows and, the tastemaker, Greg Mantell, is yeah. not enjoying his movie. He nearly died for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he, he nearly died for all of us, for all our movie-watching sins. <laughs> yes. Well, John, Well, also, I did see a, a, a very important tweet, John. Somebody said it was unequivocally that Mission Impossible Fallout, colon, Fallout <laughs> was the best movie of the year, colon, decade, question mark? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I fucked that up. <laughs> Parentheses, decade, question mark. Okay. <laughs> I mean, um, with only two years left in the decade, well, a year and a half left in the decade, I don't know, that is a I, bit I call the police on them. <laughs> okay. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, if this were like 2012, I'd be like, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people say that Twitter is a horrible place. I mean, this is just further evidence of that, and, and people who genuinely enjoyed Speed Racer. <laughs> I'm glad that these are the two worst people on Twitter. Uh, absolutely, they should, yes. Again, that's just from personal experience. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what else is going on in the world to make people not dislike Twitter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ask James Gunn. I'm sure he has opinions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he shouldn't have made those tweets, though. Yeah. John, uh, if there's one operative word for tweeting, that's the same with a couple of major leaguers. They actually just got caught with um, old tweets that uh, aren't exactly uh, representative of good taste or inclusiveness. So if we have one advice uh, for every Twitterer out there, it's stop. Yeah. Stop making tweets. In fact, can... what? <laughs> I, I was going to say, it's like I'm trying to think back. If there, <laughs> have I ever done any offensive tweets? I can think yeah. of maybe one. 
kind of disparaging towards Asians, but it's like just a lame joke. So I don't know. I don't know if that's, that's enough to get me fired. <laughs> John, you you are being way too generous with your stature. Yeah, <laughs> Greg. Okay, I'll have you know, I have fifty followers. All right, they are begging, <laughs> begging me for my content. Sure, and. Uh, you obviously have such a high regard for yourself. Like, oh no, somebody's going to unsurface this potentially offensive t- one Look, potentially not... offensive tweet towards Asians. When I am directing the next huge Marvel film, okay, it could come up. It could come up. I know. Yeah, you've been you've been in talks for the Nova movie, John. Uh, Marvel. You know, I heard you need a director for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. <laughs> Available. Hey, we could both do it. We could be the Mantell brothers. Give those Rousseaus a run for their money. Yeah, I'm sure they're just as happy as we are. <laughs> Sorry, we got to spend 18 months in Atlanta shooting <laughs> in a warehouse. Oh, it's a green screen. Come on. It's easier than props and things this going out of way. And then getting in the natural light. Yeah. yeah. Forget it. Never shoot outdoors. <laughs> speed, speed Racer knew. The directors behind Speed Racer knew what they were doing. <laughs> you know who really knew what they were doing? George Lucas. All green screens, all the time. <laughs> yeah. He made Acting, a world. what's that? Just read the read the words I put on the paper for you. Yeah, he made a world. <laughs> there you go. So dense. There's just With so the digital much technology. Going on. Anything I, I I can pick, I can imagine, I can do. You, you said that wrong. It's worth the digital technology. <laughs> you gotta tuck your chin into your into your neck. Jar Jar makes this different than any other character. John, if I have one, John, if I have one word for you, it's stop. Okay. All right. Stop making tweets. Okay. In fact, I think we should just stop making sense altogether, if we haven't already. <gasps> Boom. <laughs> That's the movie. Thank you. watch this week come on oh it... stop making sense you didn't plan that segue <laughs> no no I, I, that was complete uh completely off the cuff john you and i you obviously know that you and i are brilliant improvisers so this is absolutely true i mean i already I, I none of this has been rehearsed as you can tell no. <laughs> god imagine if somebody actually thought that oh that poor soul <laughs> but yes this week we watched the concert film of the talking heads stop making sense directed by yeah. the brilliant jonathan demi yeah, and generally regarded as one of the best concert films of all time. In fact, John, I have a few poll quotes for you. <laughs> Wait, before we go on, name yeah. another well-regarded concert film. Well, The Last Waltz technically doesn't qualify. Okay. Because So that was that was a film uh, on the final tour of the band. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, not strictly just a concert, but there's also like talking head footage on the road footage, talking head, hey-oh, nailed it. <laughs> um, boom. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, uh, another concert film. Didn't Wilco do a concert movie at the Esplanade in Boston that was going to be their final show? 
And, none of, and John, none of them could capture the juice, though, of Stop no. Making Sense. No. Because none of them had a director as good as Jonathan Demme or a reputation. Well, I mean, what other stage show perfectly encapsulates what the Talking Heads represent? Uh, well, I don't know. We're going to have to go to those. <laughs> well, I guess it would be weird if Wilco was trying to encapsulate the Talking Heads, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> bad, yeah. bad choice of phrasing, but you, yeah. you get what I'm saying. Well, for that, we would have to probably go to a, uh, a quiet exhibition in RISD that <laughs> only parents, family, and maybe a few friends have been to. Okay. But anyway, John, I have a, full poll, I have a few poll quotes for you. Go ahead. Leonard Maltin hails it as one of the greatest rock movies ever made. Okay. Robert uh, Christgau says the finest concert film. Unquote. Okay. And John, John Major Domo, Pauline Kale, said that it is close to perfection. Dang. Mm, yeah. So, John, I mean, this is your first time seeing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was very, very good. I liked it a lot. I enjoyed it quite immensely. Um, But again, it's like, how much do I appreciate it as a quote-unquote film or as someone who appreciates the music and aesthetics of the Talking Heads? Those those two things kind of are kind of too intertwined that I can't really, I feel like, um, independently evaluate. I mean, on its own, I would say it's obviously a very well-crafted film. But if you don't enjoy the Talking Heads, you don't enjoy their style, you don't enjoy their aesthetic, are you going to enjoy this movie? I don't know. Okay. Well, John, do you, speaking from personal experience, are you a big fan of the Talking Heads? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan, but I loved every song in this in this movie, and really? yeah, and I appreciate their music and concept. I've never really kind of like actively sought them out. You know, I've never even bought a single song off there off iTunes because that's <laughs> that's the era I live in. So okay. <laughs> You mean, like you, didn't download ripped... it? you mean you didn't download it off LimeWire? I never Napster? ripped a CD and, you know, put it in Sharpie like Talking Heads Mix. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I mean, what about you? Are you are you a big a Talking Head head? I, I must confess, no, I'm not a uh, Talking Head stan. Uh, okay. Although I do appreciate some of their songs. Like a lot of bands, like I like the hits, but don't ask me to go into the deep cuts or deep into their discography i can't i can't explain any of that to you and i wish i could like on a deeper level explain what the talking heads represents particularly in the early to mid 1980s i mean this was at the the movie was filmed kind of at the height of their powers um and what all folks also didn't know it was on their last tour um yeah. I, mean, I, I initially, I I initially that's, thought that's I think what that's a little grandiose for the Talking Heads at the height of their power. Yes, I they're lighting the Billboard <laughs> charts ablaze. <laughs> Biggest band in the world, the Talking Heads. Well, I think I think Michael Jackson, con- look out. <laughs> I think that context lends a lot to the reputation of the movie. Like, I, I don't think at the time people a appreciated the Talking Heads at least on a on a you know maybe a huge pop culture scale. I mean. This was the height of their chart-topping, you know, power, and even then, it wasn't like number one the way that Thriller was, or Prince mm-hmm. was, or any yeah. other like huge pop rock act. But I, I think this movie does. Well, you're right. The movie is very entertaining. Um, it is strictly a concert film, so there's no other, no context outside of the concert itself. But I think that's what lends a lot to the movie is if you know a little bit about the Talking Heads, know a little bit about our uh, inimitable lead singer, David Byrne, <laughs> and also that you know that this was one of their kind of like final shows and the, the, the legendary status that they hold of like, oh, breaking up when, you know, they were at the height of their um, creative and commercial appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, which we should probably, which we should probably explain. <laughs> for, and for any of those wondering, this was filmed over uh, three, uh, this was on their last tour. 
uh, well, not their not their announced last tour, but one of their last tours. Mm-hmm. They contracted great direct, uh, legendary director Jonathan Demi. Hey, can you help us out? And they filmed it over three nights at the legendary Pantages Theater. I'm going to say legendary again. <laughs> the wonderful Pantages Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. I mean, was Jonathan Demi really a household name at this point? I don't think. I don't, he hasn't even done something wild yet. I well, come on, John. I mean, you know, the, the, these directors they come they come prefab. They come prebuilt, sort of. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. And I mean, this is far from his only concert film. I mean, he's also done one for Justin Timberlake, and then he also did one for, I think he actually did a couple for Neil Young, didn't he? Uh, yes, I think he did a couple for Neil Young. Well, I think I also know why Justin Timberlake similarly contracted him to shoot that big show in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Because um, he, he knew the success of Stop Making Sense. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he wanted to replicate that success. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that Justin Timberlake. Just co-opting everybody else. I know he can get what he wants. <laughs> what a what a hack! I mean, I have a theory on the appeal of the talking heads, but I can't really speak to it with any no. kind of authority. <laughs> you and I are, are movie lovers, but yes. not exactly music lovers. That, no. that that world we're not a part of. We're going to have a very hard time articulating how we feel about the music, because again, this is just not our world. <laughs> no, and I think we're going to even have a harder time explaining the vid- visuals. <laughs> <laughs> So thus, thus point, damning, yes, thus damning the usefulness, thus explaining the usefulness of our podcast. We apologize in advance. <laughs> so um, I guess we should just start with the opening. So there's, there's this very interesting setup where it's uh, it, the stage is completely stripped down. It, yeah. And it's literally just David Byrne who walks out and starts performing solo. And then as the show begins, they start, you know, each of the individual band members start kind of like coming out one-on-one and like joining him. And then they start bringing out the actual accoutrement, the actual set pieces and uh, the various things that will be incorporated into the show later. So I thought that was kind of a very interesting way to kind of like start the movie and very cinematic. Um, and then the other, it could it could have been a little faster. <laughs> Just <laughs> those first four tracks, your your brain has to supply a lot of the, the stimulation I found. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, I find, you know, I guess we should speak to this, a concert, like, you know, you want to be kind of absorbed and taken away in the experience, and I felt I felt like for these first, for, the, for them slowly bringing out one band member at a time, and slowly the full production kind of comes in, I, I was like, just, I was just like, just get there already, please. Okay. Um, and it finally comes full with, the, one of the, with, I think, their biggest hit, Burning Down the House, but that is true, yeah. Well, also, they do Psycho Killer a lot earlier than I thought they would. I know, but it's not the full voice though. It's just it's just literally burn on his um on his guitar. Well, that was the other. I think that was their first big hit. Yeah. So maybe that's why they led off with that. Okay. I mean, a lot of the kind of it is kind of surprising how stripped down when they actually get to their bigger hits, how stripped down they end up sounding. Like the other one was Once in a Lifetime. When they performed that one, I was like, yeah, I recognize it, but it definitely does not sound like the recording. No, and well, part of that is the the two great backup dancers. Mm-hmm. Oh, the backup dancers are the best part. 
Yeah. Well, we should. I, I well, guess they're we also they also the... sing. So. Yeah. I do. <laughs> oh, so, excuse me. I meant backup singers. <laughs> that, yeah, they're they're multi. They're exceptional singers. Yeah. Again, I'm th- I'm looking at the visuals. I apologize. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Greg was like, this is a music concert? I just thought they were weirdos dancing. I thought it was an art yeah. film. I, I was ready for moves after dark at the Palladium. <laughs> I just wanted to experience the dance and the stagecraft. I wanted more... Okay, criticisms. <laughs> Points of improvement. A, get stagecraft earlier. Uh, B, maybe uh, hew a little bit closer to the original recording, because I like, I like the CD recording of Once in a Lifetime. Okay. <laughs> but CD, with the backing, CD recording, yes. Greg? It was 1984. Yeah. Come on. I'm sorry. The record recording. The LP. <laughs> yes, with the backup vo- vocals uh, supplied by Lynn Mabry and Edna Holt. Okay. I mean, definitely, definitely exceptional. There, mm-hmm. there is a lot more gravitas to it than the original recording, which I will say. Mm-hmm. As much as as much gravitas as you can supply in in the song, literally called "Once in a Lifetime." <laughs> and so the other interesting thing I took note of, and I wonder if this was intentional or not, was kind of the presence of the audience, because that is always something that you kind of have to take into consideration when you are filming a kind of stage show, whether it's a concert or like a stand-up act or something like that. You you, you do have to kind of consider how you're going to light the audience. Are you going to mic them? And they definitely did mm-hmm. not mic them for this one. You can hear the audience. You can hear the occasional like, woo, but they're they're pretty subdued. Granted, yeah, I, it was a lot of different audiences because they filmed it over several different shows. That had to be an intentional choice by Demi because... I think I think you could see it. I mean, you and I haven't been on stage. This this may stun people because we have uh, faces for radio. But you and I haven't been on stage a lot. But one one experience that I always or one thing that I always take away from whenever I'm on stage is the lights are so bright on you, you can't see out. That is true. Into the theater, and so I noticed this immediately. Psycho killer, like, okay, we're not gonna focus on the audience. And also, what I noticed is I think they're still in their seats at that point. I mean, later they get they get much more like uh, jubilant with each with each song, particularly at the end. I think the light, the house lights come up, and you know there are like single shots of like uh, fans going crazy. Mm-hmm. But in these opening songs, it's like they're they're finally building to that over the course of the uh, the sixteen tracks that are played here. Uh, yeah, I I wondered if that was an intentional choice or not. And you seem you seem to be making the point that it was. Nice. Um, because, and again, like maybe the other thing too is just uh, you know the demographic of people who like the Talking Heads and go to a Talking Heads concert. I did see the occasional swaying, and I think that's the kind of appropriate <laughs> dance moves you would do for a Talking but, Heads concert. <laughs> wait, you didn't see any moshing? No, I just I saw no moshing. <laughs> what, I saw you didn't no slam see, dancing. No fights broke out. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> You know, obviously no one was trying to match the magnificent moves of David Byrne, but... Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that that we should also speak to, because, I again, I use that, I use the... He's exceptionally weird. I, mm-hmm. First of all, immediately, once he, once he walks out on stage and starts playing the guitar in his, in his weird suit and uh, literally, like, uh, uh, st- uh, come on, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Choose your words, use your words. Use your words, yeah. <laughs> And, and his uh, pole-like frame. The guy, <laughs> yes. the guy needs to eat something. The guy needs some protein in his diet. But Greg, he's an artist, okay? He's starving. This is true. This is true. Or high off Coke. Who knows? It was yeah. the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll get to the greenies later. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just... just the weird the mannerisms that he has on stage. There's something so off about it, yet, yet also so magnetic. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> particularly the dancing. <laughs> It's very herky-jerky. It's very much a man-possessed 
but it's yeah. again it's not so wild that you're like worried about him that's the other kind of thing <laughs> again oh, you're... I, oh i was oh i was <laughs> okay <laughs> i was more observing it like hmm how peculiar interesting interesting choice david Byrne. and yeah. i think that's what he's kind of going for is again something artistic but also kind of approachable i mean that's you can sum that up as the talking heads i mean they're you're absolutely right they are exceptionally weird but also strangely magnetic well, I I think the the stage presence is actually he's he's probably the oddest one. Out of, everybody else looks square. We should probably explain. Um, you think so? I th- I thought so. Um, I thought particularly the drummer, um, mm-hmm. Chris, one of the other founding. T- he um he takes kind of center stage. Uh, there's only one only one song where uh, David Byrne is not lead, mm-hmm. and that's when they do a little tom they do the Tom Tom Club. Um, yeah. Which David Byrne I don't think was explicitly a part of, but it would they had a huge hit with Genius of Love. Mm-hmm. And so, who leads that is uh, Chris Fra- Chris France, the drummer, and that felt like more conventional in terms of like conventional pop song, but also the way he's like hyping up the crowd. Um, yeah. seems it seems like more what you would common more like what you would see at a at a typical rock show. Okay, that's fair. I mean, yeah. David Byrne still does that occasionally, like early on, especially uh... early on. He's still kind of doing the like thank you. And well, there is also that weird moment where he kind of like there's a bit of a lull, and he goes, "Any questions?" Yeah, <laughs> which he, like sarcastically asking that. I, th- I think his first word to the the audience is like, "Hello." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, again, he's a he's an odd guy, and I you know uh, I yeah. like that he brings that into his stage presence. But you know, the, you also you know it's this is very much. David, you you talk about you know the founding members of the Talking Heads, but it's like it always has felt like David Byrne's project. Well, yeah, and I think he was the driving force behind their breakup a few years later. Um, oh, absolutely. I assume even the though ego they were. on the guy is humongous. <laughs> I well, I, again, I don't want to. I don't know him personally. I don't want to. I don't want to judge a book by its cover. I can it's, make uh, my assumptions. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, just look at the poster, and you think that's a that's a squared guy in his <laughs> in his size sixty two L suit. Well, and that's the other reason why he he can't be solo for that song. He's got to go change. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> The iconic visual of this piece is this gigantic gray suit. And when asked for an explanation, he's like, I don't know, because it looked weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, again, I think it adds to... Well, the, the, what's strange is that he he doesn't need it. <laughs> I mean, his mannerisms and his dancing, like the, the other th- moment I'm thinking of is the camera's looking at him head on and he's doing this wave with his arms. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think that's, that's what makes it great. It, it accentuates all the weird motions he's doing with his body. When he starts like flipping around like a dolphin like kind of like you know waving his body back and forth i think it helps accentuate that and then the shoulders are kind of like moving back and forth with him it's all very exaggerated and silly yeah 
But what I was surprised by is he actually takes the top off, and it's just the giant pants with the harness inside them. <laughs> that's true. And I thought, like, oh, that's a, it's like we're returning to not normalcy, because nothing about David Byrne is normal, <laughs> but what I will say is, like, authenticity. Mm-hmm. Like, we did this kind of, again, the stagecraft or something, again, something designed to entrance an audience. In this case, it's a costume change. But the other thing that I think Demi captures beautifully is also lighting and what they do in terms of that because he's he there's not a whole lot of movement on stage and there's that one costume change mm-hmm. which again would make any any modern performer like uh pink or uh, Katy perry just say hold my beer and then do like six exactly more, like, yeah <laughs> but i i what i really appreciated was not just capturing those in full but also the close-ups i mean there's a great shot where we get i believe a once in a lifetime where we get the silhouettes of burn and the two backup vocals mm-hmm as well as like the really harsh lights or like giant spotlights on them so oh yeah there's this one moment where the the lighting goes real down low and everyone's face is just like illuminated like they have flashlights like they're telling a scary campfire yeah. story <laughs> and that's when the camera like really gets up all in their faces and i'm kind yeah. of surprised like the other uh, notable thing about this movie is uh jonathan demi wanted to shoot just like the rehearsal like as they would do it without an audience just so he could get the like pickups and just kind of get like the, get the close-ups, yeah, yeah, and get the close-ups, and they were like, no, because we can't replicate it without the audience, yeah. And so I am kind of surprised that they could, you know, get that close to their faces while there was an audience, you know, yeah. present, <laughs> yeah, and not be distracting. I think they're I only counted like literally two shots where you can see the camera mm. on stage. I didn't, so, I didn't notice it at all. I was really surprised. Yeah. yeah. So again, a, a plus work, Mr. Demi. I, I know it's a surprise to some people. We don't say it enough. Like, hey, Jonathan Demi, pretty, pretty smart director. But <laughs> you know, let, this kid's going places. Again. Yeah. Let's just repeat it again. So I don't know. I, I, I'm watching this, I had this kind of like theory bubbling in my head, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just completely talking out of my ass. But I think the popularity of the Talking Heads probably stems from the fact that this. They are very much the 80s encapsulated, or at least kind of a oh, response it's... to what was going on in the 80s. The 80s was a time of, you know, Reagan and, you know, conservative resurgence. And I feel like the 80s was a time of conformity. Mm. And the Talking Heads, probably understanding that, wanted to be a respite, an antidote to that with just kind of general approachable weirdness. Oh yeah, you, you're definitely right because it is approachable. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing loud or kind of off. Well, there may be something off about David Byrne himself <laughs> like, if you ever speak to him personally. <laughs> there's nothing off about the band itself, and the sound um, is also of the era. But uh, as we can tell, like you know, we're still listening to the Talking Head songs, you know, for, almost 40 years later. Yeah, exactly. They're they're clearly artists, but they're not like Yoko Ono. They're not like nice. you know yeah. screeching. They're still making. <laughs> Pop music. No. Number four. <laughs> Number four. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I And going in with that kind of mindset, I think that's why I appreciated it so much. I was trying to cast my mind back to, you know, kid in the 80s. Like, you know, I would probably be that kind of kid who, like, was, you know, seeking out something a little more alternative. So I understand. the I appreciate where the talking heads are coming from. And if you grew up in that era, this would totally be a band I would be so into even if i'm not into them now i mean okay well, john to... why aren't you into them now i mean because i'm not you could still be that person i guess i could you're absolutely right i could if the problem is i'm just not a big music guy like i like <laughs> jazz i like classical but i don't have <laughs> no I, i'm not a big music guy i much prefer jazz <laughs> and classical well no it's like I, I appreciate them as genres but it's like and i have specific artists that i like but it's what's mm. great about 
when you appreciate those genres, you just kind of like put it on the radio and you listen to whatever's there. <laughs> yeah, so, like I'm, I'm not I'm not a guy who like is looking for like discovery or whatever. And there's definitely people like we know that we're friends with who can kind of speak to it and appreciate it on a certain level that we just technically don't understand. <laughs> this is true. Uh, I, I thought you were going to speak against that because he was like, no, I'm a genius. I appreciate everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, if we're going to, this is not just, uh, not just addressing blind spots in the movies we've seen, but also our personal uh, failings. <laughs> so we might as well explore them now. I, I will say I, I am a big alternative music fan, whatever that label means today. But uh, for I think for just a few reasons, the uh, electronic motif of a lot of 80s movies, particularly this one, mm-hmm. um, just is what keeps me from kind of the talking heads at a distance um, okay. and only helps me appreciate their their big hits, their big pop hits, like Once in a Lifetime, This Must Be the Place, mm-hmm. and Burning Down the House. Um, although that said, I was happy to discover like Girlfriend is Better and, you know, Cross-Eyed and Pantsless, some of the <laughs> some of the other songs. So Yeah, I mean, everything I, was extremely catchy. And yeah. it kind of made me wish that I was. Maybe maybe I'll get more into them. Who knows? Maybe I'll actively like try to YouTube their songs or their music yeah. videos or something. Because <laughs> that's pretty much how I listen to all my music. Pretty much. So, yeah, I, I think this is about this movie was about discovery, and I think I'm glad you and I could open ourselves up to this concert experience, even though we generally hate concerts because they're loud, crowded, expensive, and full of drugs. Exactly. <laughs> and we're old fogies who don't like to leave the house. So yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> perfect way to kind of discover and appreciate a, a really interesting band that interesting no just some, let's say a, a really idiosyncratic band there you go there you go yeah. yes so mm-hmm. thumbs up i mean <laughs> sp- go aspir- see it <laughs> aspiring snob seal of approval boom uh, t- again i feel like we're on a roll here bro i know what we like we were gonna dislike a jonathan demi film come on <laughs> we're not allowed we're not allowed we've okay. already hooked ourselves to this boat We've already yeah. chained ourselves to this Well, have, have you seen the truth about Charlie? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> now I'm curious. <laughs> no, I just, just, obviously, you're not up to your filmography of 2002. <laughs> okay. Was it the Book of Henry of its day? Uh, no, it was, it's a, it was a remake starring Mark Wahlberg. Uh, when, again, 2002 was a weird time for him. Okay. <laughs> I've already made my feelings, feelings known about Mr. Wahlberg. You're not excited for Mile 22? I no, I haven't seen mile one through twenty one. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, uh, 
<laughs> I do appreciate that. Uh, it's also that movie's directed by Peter Berg, mm-hmm. and uh, he and he and Wahlberg were like, "Hey, let's not exploit a terrible tragedy for <laughs> Oscar gold." That's that was sweet of them. <laughs> I I think that movie's kind of getting buried, isn't it? I have I've seen like a handful of TV spots for it, but I have no idea what the plot is. I had no idea it was actually directed by Peter Berg. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I guess we'll reserve judgment. Uh, no, no, that's not that's not the John Mantell way. <laughs> I have a I, I have a special ability. I'm able to judge things prematurely. I call it pre-justice. <laughs> pre-justice. Oh, that doesn't hit the tongue right. How about pre- prejudice? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Ooh, yeah. Sounds clean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. This is this is the pro- this is the podcast where you get all your prejudice. It's great. <laughs> Well, Greg, speaking of judgments, let the mm-hmm. judgments continue as yes. we as we slyly wiggle our way over in our crazy, possessed way <laughs> to our <laughs> concluding segment, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. I was going to say we hand, we hand them down with a fury. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, the talking heads don't do loud and bombastic, okay? They I know. Do, exactly. They do quirky. Yeah, right. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, yeah, it wouldn't be befitting uh, the movie we just discussed. Exactly. <laughs> but Greg, what do you have for Spotlight? Well, uh, unfortunately, it, it appears to be a movie desert coming out in August, regardless of what the public perception <laughs> of Mile 22 is. Okay. So uh, I went to the theaters to see a documentary that's been out for a little while now. Okay. Um, and I do, But I do think it's really enjoyable. It's gotten great notices, and I think they're earned. Um, it's the documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Oh. Yeah. A profile of Mr. Rogers. Or Fred, as they just call him. I, so, here, here's a newsflash. Good guy is good. That's, <laughs> that's the essential theme of Mr. Rogers. By all accounts, he was the genuine article. Um, he was as beloved behind the camera as he was on screen for his famous Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Uh, so, like, what what does this documentary really uh, add to the table? And I think for that, not only... Um, I think the film sets out this, like, thesis statement is, like, did it work? Did his, you know... 30 plus years on television, like actually create a kinder, gentler, more thoughtful place that he really set out to. Mm. Um, and I think the conclusion is that it, it kind of comes in waves. Okay. Because um, we track him from his, his uh, it, we immediately start with his desire to make um, television, television programming for children. That's not just zaniness and pie, pies in the face and things like that, that, that he really laments. And also the other, you know, good point of the documentary is that it does fill out this person who we just see as like kind of a, a naive sweet guy but you know he also had doubts about his work I mean he wasn't he wasn't an idiot I mean so um, and he could be you know and he, could, and he was very insistent on his vision he had a clear vision he was gonna and he was gonna uh, he was gonna get it across on screen darn it <laughs> I mean but he, he it's so weird thinking of him as like an aggressive creative or something like that it's like no I will not compromise my vision like pounding the table because he was so <laughs> well sweet okay, yeah. unless I was an act was it all an act? No, no, it wasn't an act. When I say uh, he wasn't quite pounding the table, but he was very insistent on on kind of his vision, and okay. so that's that's what he fought with because um, that we kind of uh, trace trace his life um, in a very linear fashion, starting at that point when he wants to establish a a, a children's program on WQED QED in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. uh, leading into. 
um, his him becoming so popular that he helps uh, lead fundraisers for the and tra- or travels for p- public broadcasting, leads fundraisers for them, and of course the legendary congressional testimony he gave. Mm-hmm. Um, where, the, and I was I was shocked by this. It is it is literally that like kind of romantic and cinematic where the the senator I can't remember his name now, but is like go he folds his arms, go ahead, Mister Rogers, try to try to convince me. <laughs> okay. And he does with a song, and he and he caps it off with like a. It's almost like out, out of Mad Men. He's like, "Well, you you got your twenty million dollars of funding." Like, <laughs> it's just amazing how kind of like movie perfect that is. Okay, so I only I only knew about that congressional testimony because it was uh, recaptured on Drunk History, yeah, where the lovely Colin Hanks plays Fred Rogers. So yes, <laughs> Colin Hanks plays Fred Rogers in in uh, Drunk History, and again, this moment was so cinematic, they're going to make a movie about it where Tom Hanks, his father, plays <laughs> Fred Rogers. Because they're just all such nice guys. Nice exactly. guy in Hollywood. Playing yeah, mm-hmm. the nicest guy in public television. Oh. Yeah, Tom Hanks isn't going to rest until he plays every nice guy, <laughs> every beloved American in the universe. But is it just an act? Oh, I want I want the dirt. I want the dirt. <laughs> I, it's, uh, sorry, John. Again, the newsflash. Nice guy is nice. So. I want to see my heroes destroyed. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry, John. You're not gonna get uh, you're not gonna get that here. Okay. Um, I, in terms of details, I didn't know is that he stopped the show after about a ten year run and wanted to make a show for adults. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, that didn't quite work out. And then he saw, in terms of like filling out his whole personality, what re- really made him angry. It turns out in 1978, he really did not like Superman. <laughs> Interesting, um, and he really didn't like. Well, I guess he didn't like the fact that the ki- kids were pretending in this way. Obviously, he was a big proponent of imagination and feelings, but you know, trying to make yourself or falling into the fantasy of Superman somehow, you know, boiled his britches for some reason. Mm-hmm. And um, and he, he excused it, like said, "Oh no, this is a public health crisis," because apparently kids were tying towels to their necks like capes and jumping out of windows. And wow. so yeah, so he's he came back. He came back to children's programming with like you know I I gotta help with a, a public uh public public awareness for this for this blight on our nation. Okay, I mean that kind of makes sense though because he liked kids using their imagination for the sake of maybe getting in touch with their emotions a little bit more. Aware as opposed to like you know Superman, he's meant to be a model or something like that, which you can also kind of miss. So I I, model, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah, model and and I think a little authoritarian um oh yeah might, one thing might equals right is totally superman's yeah. mind <laughs> <laughs> and that's funny because when they when they explore mr rogers neighborhood in full and they look at all the different characters they they his family members and the people who knew him personally explained how it, it each was an aspect of his personality mm-hmm. like daniel the tiger being a lot of the self-doubt um but also king the king being the more his more insistent and author- authoritarian side um mm-hmm. What little of it there was, I mean, it was still like a an insist. There was an assist, insistent side to him. Yeah. Well, the other thing that they, the only thing that they, you know, I've read the review. I haven't seen this, but I've read the reviews, and they said the only like kind of dirt they could kind of dig up on him is that he had like a gay cast member, and he kind of insisted that he stay in the closet for the sake of the show, because again, this was still the 1960s. Like that comes up in the movie, correct? Yes, it does. Um, that's Francois, the mailman, or mm-hmm. sorry, the policeman. And uh, they, he does show him. Well, uh, we should also explain he's a he was an ordained minister. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it was part of his religious conviction. Also, like didn't allow him to accept his his co-stars for homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was one scene where he did say he did like kind of like say this was this is Francois's uh, wife and the lovely home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
and I I think that's a, also he he does give a, a pieces to camera, and I think those are those are some of the most emotional parts because yeah we see him we see this this side of Fred Rogers who wasn't initially accepting but then it does come around like he says that he felt that love and acceptance which he never felt from his father or stepfather before so. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it is. It is also fill, filled with those emotional moments. You know, bring your tissues. Okay. Of course, I, I didn't cry because I'm a, I'm a man. I well, I cried during the trailer, so that's also <laughs> why, I, why I kind of put off like watching it. It's like I think I got everything out of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, there there is a lot more to get. Uh, I I gotta say that uh, it's a real credit to the director Morgan Neville. Um, it's kind of the way he structured. It. Again, it's it's very light and. and I, Again, there's not there's there's not a secret life of Mr. Rogers out there mm-hmm. that he could fill like a, a big you know Netflix TV series with. So it's a it's a scant ninety minutes, but it's really well organized. Uh, what footage that he doesn't have of the show or the congressional text, testimony, he fills in with a little animation with the the tiger and oh, okay. kind of like uh, animating little bits of uh, Fred Rogers' life. So it's very well done visually in that way too. Okay, all right, yeah, so. No, I know, I know it's great, and I know I'll see it one day, but yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to go to the theaters. Again, my movie pass stopped working. What's going on? Exactly, I know. <laughs> movie pass, get your act together. People need to see Fred Rogers. They need to see Fred Rogers and see what decency and kindness were like again, because we're not getting in enough in this world. Ask not what you can do for your local theater, but yeah. what, local but theater what movie can pass can do to help them. <laughs> there you go. And help you see at least four movies a month <laughs> for only ten dollars. Well, Greg, for my spotlight this week, I have yeah. a book report for you. Ooh, because nice. I've been. <laughs> uh, I'm John. I'm sick of discussing movies, recommending movies that people aren't going to see. Let's recommend books that people aren't going to read. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what I mean. I mean like your book report, like when you took that flight back and you basically listed ah. all the movies that you saw i've been a red nice. we've been a red box fiend this week we Whoa. we I, we've been red boxing basically all the major releases from april so i've got okay, quite john, a list for you okay john i don't know how i feel about you supporting an actual like working business venture i think you should <laughs> get out to the theater again and support movie ca- movie pass and theaters where we can okay but red red box again they're they're mainstream they're they're doing fine they don't need your help uh, i mean they kind of do i mean who has a dvd player left really i i probably have a dvd player it's the best format <laughs> I love getting up and putting a a, 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 a schmutz covered uh, CD in that doesn't work halfway through. Okay. <laughs> but Greg, what about 4K Ultra HD? Yeah, not necessary. Okay. Give me behind the scenes stuff. That's what that's what I crave. Yes. Audio commentaries. Give me give me that Criterion. Mm, yes. No. 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 Yeah. So but I will, anyway, John. I will report. I will list all six movies I saw this week in order of the most or the least I have to say about it to the most I have to say about it. All right, so okay. here we go. All right, so uh, not in terms of quality, but more the, the thoughts of John. Exactly, the, I mean, it, it kind of goes with quality as well. We'll we'll, we'll okay. talk about all it. Right, we'll talk right. about it. All right, all right. Uh, I finally got a chance to see Lean on Pete. You've already talked about Lean on Pete. Um, yes, great. Um, I definitely, I just think Andrew Haig should stop adapting novels <laughs> because I my my feelings about it were the same as my feelings as Forty Five Years, which is also yeah. based on like a short story. It's like yes, when you're writing, you're allowed to fill it with so much detail. But when you, when you're on film, it's kind of like wasted moments. Like you're just kind of making it shaggy. Not wasted. It's at the pace of life. Which, no, I don't like that. Admittedly, which admittedly is probably more boring than reading the the, the book itself. But. Exactly. I mean, but it's like 
my favorite film of his is Weekend, and I think that's a masterpiece. And it's because there's no wasted moments in it. And then you get 45 years and Lean on Pete, and it's like a lot of meandering. It's like, nice. don't, don't get me wrong, Lean on Pete is much more dramatic and a lot more exciting than 45 years. And it is still a great film. John, the this performance by Steve Zahn <laughs> is is completely in, integral to the plot, all right? We needed him in the movie, all right? We're not going to cut him out after we paid him. I, look, no one loves Steve Zahn more than me, okay? Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I know, you're president of the Steve Zahn fan club. Exactly. But really, the only thing I was missing from his performance was like, Nah, man, I was a nom! <laughs> No, this was a recently published book, and you know, maybe maybe his character's backstory—he was from uh, Iraq, and you know, acting out. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? All right. Yeah. But yes, Lean on Pete, great movie, recommended. Anywho, yeah. next movie, I Feel Pretty, it stars Amy Schumer, and runs about ninety minutes. Next movie, <laughs> I saw. <laughs> John, is it is it in color? <laughs> it is in color. Most things are in focus. So good job. Okay, great, <laughs> great. But John, but John Fatty fell down and went boom. Isn't <laughs> What's not to love? Look, I like Amy Schumer. I'm not going to deride Amy Schumer, but mm. the movie, the movie, even though it has an interesting premise, it just doesn't have enough material to fill 90 minutes. Like, I, I really don't think I laughed once. Like, <laughs> thanks, John. I, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, Rory Scovel's good in it. That's that's about the highest okay. praise I can give. And again, okay. nothing against Amy Schumer. I like her comedy, but it's just. Mm. Ugh. It's just vapor. Um, next, I saw Game Night, which uh, oh. is, is it's pretty interesting. Um, when yeah, I, well, of course, John. Did you read the oral history? <laughs> no, I didn't. Where I somebody went into a boardroom and said, the movie's called Game Night. And he said, here's sold. Here's $20 million. <laughs> And the movie business continues apace. <laughs> but here's the thing. I do want to give it some credit because from what they're selling you, it seems like it's going to be like one of those improvisation fests, like one of those like yeah. Judd Apatow-esque things. And no, there's a lot of good visual humor and a lot of good direction in it. But again, it's just like, it never quite elevates the material. And I don't know, it's like, it's so loose and flippant. Like everything is kind of a joke, but it's meant to be like a mm. high stakes story. So those things never really quite gel because it's meant to be like an action comedy, like... I'm. I don't know. There's a million of them. Like that's the new big trend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Hitman's Bodyguard. It? It's like we have jokes, but also explosions. Everyone gets everything. Uh, yeah. Something for all four to the hang- Yeah. How do they compare to the Hangover movies? <laughs> oh, it's better than the Hangover. Because okay. again, there's some real craft to it. There's some nicely crafted like visual jokes. There's craft to the Hangover movies, bro. Grank. Really. <laughs> the, the, really. Yeah. He. Uh. There's a Snorri cam in one of them. I remember. <laughs> I mean, of the Hangover movies, I guess I have to recommend uh, the yeah. first one the most. So, okay, yeah. you got me. You got me there. And then I saw Blockers. Ah, Blockers is uh, that one actually is probably the funniest movie of the the group I saw, um, mm. because again the premise is quite interesting, um, and the butt of the joke is actually on the parents. For those who don't remember the premise, it's the fact that uh, all their teenage daughters make a vow that they're going to lose their virginity on prom night. They uh, accidentally see it on like their iPads or connected iPads and they mm-hmm. and because they're such clingy defensive parents they go on this adventure this misadventure to stop them and it's funny but it's also kind of like sweet and it, it balances its tones quite well and you get a you know uh, extended sequence with butt chugging involving John Cena and that's very funny so yeah, okay. <laughs> awesome. and there was there was one joke where I literally like busted out laughing so I have to give it credit for that okay 
I mean, it's like all our all our fantasies come to life. You know, butt chugging John Cena. <laughs> yeah, it's there. I'll just, well, oh, what I didn't I didn't understand is that from the from the premise, it just looked like the it was like a oh, it's a wacky comedy involving the parents trying to stop their daughters. But no, it's a, it's also about the daughters as well. No, yeah, and that's the other great thing about it is it balances out them all quite well, and they're all very well rounded. It's not like the you mm. know teenagers are like oh my god, selfie totes. Like they're all yeah. they're all very three dimensional, and the parents are mm. pretty three dimensional too. They have kind of a natural arc that they all have to kind of go through. So it's it's okay. pretty well crafted. Um, again, kind of like the opposite of Game Night, though. There's not a lot of pizzazz to the direction. And it does feel like, you know, again, a little too Judd apatow Just, you know, improv and go. Okay. <laughs> we'll fix so it in saying... post. Okay. So you're saying it's funnier than Lean on Pete? Barely. Because, <laughs> you know, Steve Buscemi can't help but get a laugh out of that guy. No. <laughs> Chloe Sevenly left me in stitches. <laughs> when that horse got hit by the car, oh boy. I just, spoiler, <laughs> come on. Antics. Come on. I didn't say which anyway, horse it was. You can probably just, guess. So, <laughs> moving on. More. Give me more. John, I, I'm, I, I need to feel some juice. Okay. I finally, juice. I finally got around to seeing Love, Simon. Ah, uh, yes. This is, this is an important film for us. Yes. Um, which, uh, I will admit, this was the hardest one for me to watch. Because... <laughs> Why? As a as a man who who's cold and dead inside, this movie is the is the worst possible thing for me. It's earnest. <laughs> ugh, ugh. <laughs> it's 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 cloyingly sweet at times, and it, okay, it, especially in the first half. The first half really kind of bothered me because it was kind of going for like the Diablo Cody thing, where it's like you know, peace out, home skillet. Hashtag, <laughs> you know, it's like teenagers don't talk like this, or maybe I just don't want to believe teenagers talk like this. <laughs> Like, it's too kind of, like, overly written. What, foe? <laughs> John, all us, all, us, all us hip teens out there. You know. Greg... Talk, talk in winky face. Uh, <laughs> eggplant, eggplant, water. <laughs> Greg's, Greg's got the, the, the youth on lockdown. He knows. Indeed, he does. I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the other thing about the first half is, so, for those who don't remember the premise, Simon is gay, and he uh, has this correspondence with this other kid, from his high school who is secretly gay and so mm-hmm. they kind of like start being pen pals back and forth but wait is simon out of the closet or no he is not okay oh yeah. so they're 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 both uh in the closet you know but you know sharing this uh this uh romantic uh liaison uh, ex- that's not the right word yeah kind of they're they're kindred spirits and it does eventually kind of go into romantic direction oh, um unfortunately one of his classmates who uh sees the correspondence Oh. So what does he do with this vital information? He extorts yeah. him in order for him to set him up with one of his best friends, one of his best gal pals. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. So, so, so and still, wacky hijinks and there's, there's appeal to the breeders out there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I didn't like the first half, again, because it's, you know, annoying kids talking. It's overwritten. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like zany shenanigans that wouldn't really happen in real life. But then the turn is in the second half, this kid eventually does reveal that Simon is gay to the whole school. Is that, oh, that's a that's a second act twist? Yeah, not... that's the second act twist. Got it, okay. Yeah. And that's when the movie actually gets interesting. <laughs> um, because... Because I'm assuming just, you know, this being 2018, like, everybody just shrugs their shoulders, like, yeah, whatever, all right. All well, right no, and, right, that's the, and that is... The... All right, Cracker, let, let's, let's move on with our lives. <laughs> and that is kind of the interesting about the, the film, is the fact that 
the exploration is not, you know, oh God, this, this kid is, has this internal secret that, it, you know, that he's going to be rejected by everybody. His fear is not mm. about rejection. His fear is about being vulnerable with people. And that's what the mm. second half is about. Because once everyone knows that he's gay, it doesn't, it, like, what hurts the relationship is not the fact that he's gay, but it's the fact that it's like, why did you wait so long to tell us? Like, why was there this mistrust? And that's, <laughs> and that's, it's, it's your fault. <laughs> But it's interesting, and again, it's a kind yeah, of unexpected right. direction because that's and that's the yeah. other kind of it's it's not a typical gay narrative where it's like oh if everyone finds out I'm gay I'm gonna get rejected because the other thing yeah. too is he's not the only gay kid in school. There's well, cl- clearly yeah, yeah I mean there's there's other gay kids and so that's a, like another kind of like weird conundrum is the fact that why are you so scared to tell other people you know you're not gonna get rejected, mm. but again it's that whole you know struggle of vulnerability. So the second half is actually very interesting, even though, again, it is cloyingly sweet. And it ends in, like, the happy romantic ending. And, you know, my stingy, flimsy heart John, was like, I'm not buying it, no. <laughs> Life is death. Going, yeah. I, I got to say, John, that, 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 is a, that is an unconventional ending for a gay movie. Yeah, I guess that's well, maybe true. Not, yeah. Maybe not recently. And I know that was a complaint for LGBT cinema. Like, all these movies have to end tragically to, you know, really galvanize an audience saying, oh, quality now and, you know... Mm-hmm. But it sounds like, yeah, this is a more positive, uh, happy vision exactly <laughs> about about acceptance. Because again, it's so uh, it doesn't seem right for ripe for conflict or, or interest, <laughs> but uh, it seems to have found it. So yeah, no, it, it definitely finds it in the back half, and like because it takes a more serious tone, and then you know it starts to take the story actually seriously. It's less about the mm-hmm. like teenage hijinks. And there is one moment that really got to me. Uh, after he comes out as gay, we do get this quick little shot where he Googles how to dress like a gay guy, which, <laughs> speaking as a gay man, yes, everyone has Googled that at one point. All right. All right. I have an idea. <laughs> dress, wear what you like to wear. <laughs> Done. Mesh t shirt. I'm, I'm the fashion designer to the stars. <laughs> Booty shorts. <laughs> platform shoes. Fabulous shoes. Yeah, plat- <laughs> platform shoes. What the? <laughs> What are we going to a disco? <laughs> are the Bee Gees playing? Come on. What do you think discos were for, Greg? They're for gay people. Yeah. All right. All right. Come on. But John, you have. We have to speak to the best performance in the movie. Oh yes. So we couldn't get away without commenting on this. Uh, one of our dear friends, Patrick, is in the movie. He's a local actor in Atlanta, and this. Yeah. Shot, this <laughs> John, not just a dear friend, one of the rising stars. <laughs> He's he he plays a math teacher. He gets two mm-hmm. scenes. Sadly, only one line per scene. But I mean, I clapped when I saw him. So <laughs> yes, as as did the rest of America, and, and casting directors. Let's go. All right. <laughs> Come on. Have you not seen him in Good Behavior? Yes. Are you you're missing also, out, guys? He, he had a lead. He had a, a big starring role in that episode. Come on, come on, Hollywood, or come on, Atlanta, which is now uh, Hollywood East. <laughs> like, let's... and thank goodness he lives there because he's definitely getting yeah. more work there than he ever got in L.A. I, yeah, <laughs> again, not worth it. Dreamers. He was smart. To... He was smart to get out of the valley, just get out of that hellhole. Dreamers, actors out there, Atlanta, Boston, New Orleans. Atlanta. Those are your new destinations. Vancouver. And Vancouver, Vancouver too. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Vancouver's tougher, you know. They gotta yeah. migrate, you know. Yes. So hand clap emojis. Cast Patrick Donahue. <laughs> I mean, See, I wish I, I wish I, I could find him more in the deleted scenes. I could only have hoped. Like there had to be yeah. a whole subplot that was sadly cut out. You know. I All guess right. the other problem is that they also cast Tony Hale as the uh, vice principal. What's What's wrong with that? Tony Hale's a, a hysterical actor. No, yeah, he's a great actor, but I mean, 
visually Patrick and Tony, I don't think they could share a scene together because they're they're, <laughs> they're just they're t- a little too similar looking. No offense, Patrick, if you're insulted by that. <laughs> I, John Tony Hale does not do CrossFit, right? I'll effing dare you. Okay, fair point. Just saying they have similar features, similar, not builds, because obviously Patrick is stacked, but. Yeah. <laughs> trim, you better trim that one down. All right, bro, come on. Okay, so. we're, trying to, we're trying to get him cast. All right. We're trying to get him rolls. Trying to get him tape. Let's do it. Okay. But if you have any, if any aspiring actors out there want to use our clout to help launch their careers, yeah. then you can mm-hmm. reach out to us. On social media, because we've got a Facebook page, we've got a Twitter page. No DMs, please. Just K, JK, DM us all you want. <laughs> yeah, hey, send us your headshots. We'll see what we can do. We'll we'll work our connections. We'll uh, we'll get you through the door. Exactly. And then if you yeah. want to reach out to us directly, you can always email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Of course, and you're probably listening to this one of the world's many, many, many podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Player FM, Podbeam, they're too many to name, really. (laughs) But go to your RSS feed, hit that subscribe button, Mm -hmm. and then go to that review button. Because I don't know, I don't know if you know, but these these services they do have reviews. So go click that five stars, go click that thumbs up, go click that heart. Say that hey, these guys are awesome. They helped out my buddy Patrick. (laughs) They told me all about the movies I should see in theaters and uh, on streaming services. They're doing a public good. Yes, we are. We are making your lives better. Mm-hmm. Every day, yeah, <laughs> or at least once a week. <laughs> yeah, at least once a week. John, let's see if we continue to make their lives better with uh, by announcing the movie that we're going to watch next week. Next week, we are going to be uh, revisiting the Peter Sellers classic, Being There. Yes, a movie you and I have never seen. Yes, and I've been wanting to see so. it for a very long time. I've I've heard it's gotten rave reviews. Yeah, I I don't know anything about it other than he quotes he he's a he's. Peter Sellers plays an isolated guy, and he just quotes television, and everybody mistakes that for profundity. Exactly. And yeah. I guess, I don't know, I, I get like a Mary Poppins vibe that could just be the bowler hat and cane. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess we'll see. We'll maybe, see. Maybe, we'll see. Maybe he takes off, yeah. We're going in with no preconceived notions. No. So at least give us credit for that, guys. Come on. Yes. But again, my, my pre-justice radar is all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> no, John, we're calling it prejudice. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, you may find yourself behind the wheel of a car. (laughs) You might find yourself earbuds in your ear, (laughs) listening to two idiots talk, and you may ask yourself, how did I get here? (laughs) Keep aspiring at the water. Keep aspiring. My God, what have I done? (laughs) And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. beautiful house with a beautiful wife